We invite our children to be dismissed for their time of worship while the rest of us bow for a moment of prayer. Thank you, God, for this good gift right now, this very moment. With music ringing in our ears and the gift of community surrounding us, we are aware of many blessings. We ask this moment that as the sermon begins, that there might be space in our hearts to hear the one word that transcends a sermon or a scripture or a song and comes to us by way of spirit. So amidst all of the words, may the word find its home in our hearts. In the name of word made flesh, Jesus the Christ, we pray. Amen. Fifty-nine years ago last night, my mother called the YMCA on, in Erie, Pennsylvania, where my father was playing basketball. He had taken the family's only car and gone to play in his league game. But my mom called and asked the man at the front desk if he wouldn't mind getting on the speaker system and calling for my dad to come to the phone. When he finally got to the phone, she said, Honey, it's time to go to the hospital. It's time to have the baby. Well, my father and mother had had three children by this point, and so my dad said in response, Well, honey, the game has just started. Can I call you at halftime and see how things are going? Now, some of you children have parents who planned out your birth perfectly from conception to delivery, and you'll be one of those people who's more organized and well-planned in your life, I'm sure. You'll also probably be the kind of person who spends a lot of time in the psychiatrist's office because of anxiety over things. But the rest of us, the rest of us, have birth stories much like Luke and Matthew tell of Jesus It was not a planned pregnancy by any human way of understanding. And we know, of course, these birth narratives were written in retrospect. After Jesus had died and was resurrected and ascended into heaven, the church began to compile these stories about Jesus. But what they do is they function kind of like an overture to a symphonic work giving hints of melodies here and there that will reappear in the story or in the song later on, or perhaps like the banner behind me. They, they tell little vignettes of the scenes that will take place later on in Jesus' life, or if you prefer, perhaps a, a trailer to a movie, to give you just some little snippets, some little themes that you can look for in the movie. What do they tell us? about what we most wait for as people of faith. Matthew starts the story out with a scandal. Mary's engaged to Joseph. Mary turns up with child, pregnant. They've never slept together, and so uh, Joseph must conclude that either she's been raped or she's been with another man. This is surely a job for CSI or young Sherlock Holmes to figure out. But Matthew immediately interjects a different angle, something outside the frame of our possibilities. The child. She is with child 
from the Holy Spirit. The, the presence of God has impregnated her. And here we get the first melody, the first vignette in this larger narrative that's to follow. And that is this. There is more to life. There is more to life than what our frames of reality conceive. And in fact, maybe what we perceive as scandal is in fact Holy Spirit. What we perceive as scandal is in fact Holy Spirit. It's true that John the Baptist, he was sent by the Spirit into the wilderness to preach this message of repentance. It was kind of scandalous. Baptizing all these people who came out, wearing weird clothes, eating weird food, saying weird things, pretty uh, scandalous things. And yet we're told he was filled with Holy Spirit. It's true of Jesus, whose ministry after his baptism where the Spirit of the Lord descends on him, he goes out and immediately begins to challenge the cultural, religious, political arrangements of the day. Scandalous words, really. Or take the disciples on that day after Jesus has ascended into heaven. The church is gathered together on that day of Pentecost. The spirit comes down and a scandal breaks out. Everyone else around by their frame of reference says, these people are drunk. They're saying things that make no sense to us. You see, in our carefully ordered world, Is it possible that what appears as scandal is in fact Holy Spirit? Well, we know these things now because Matthew has told them to us, but Joseph doesn't know them. Joseph is a righteous man, Matthew says. He wants to be faithful to God. And so he's engaged to marry this woman named Mary and finds out that she is pregnant, and he, of course, is not the father. He's scandalized. How would you feel? Wedding plans are already made. The invitations are already in the mail. The caterers are already paid for. The showers have been held. How would you feel if you'd been hurt and betrayed as Joseph assumes that he was hurt and betrayed? This righteous man... He knows the Torah. He knows the Bible. He knows in Deuteronomy 22, it says that a woman who commits adultery should be put to death. Righteous people follow the Bible, right? Phil Robertson, the patriarch of Duck Dynasty, believes the Bible. A lot of people all over the country agree with his understanding of the Bible. And yet here in Matthew, Joseph This righteous man doesn't follow the law of Deuteronomy. He goes a different route than the law demands. Matthew writes, he's unwilling to expose Mary to public disgrace, but rather dismisses her quietly. He could have pointed to her and said, do you see what she's done to me? I'm the innocent party. She's the guilty party. He could have made a public display of it. He could have called for her death. But instead, he takes on some of the shame. 
in his quietness. He carries some of the consequences for their failed betrothal. And here I want to point out what I hear as another melody in this overture. In this picture we get from the birth of Jesus, and that is this, that the law of love is more important than the love of the law. Can I say that again? The law of love is more important than love of the law. You can be righteous, you can be right, and still miss the point if love doesn't dominate Wendell Berry's written a book called Jaber Crow. Jaber is a character in this larger story of uh, of a fictional town called Port William. Jaber's the town barber. Quiet, unassuming man. He's made his way into town, opened this little barber shop, the only one in town. And all the men come, of course, in the evenings to not only get their hair cut, but to swap stories about the day. It's nighttime and the men are gathered. They're getting their hair cut. One of the people waiting to get his hair cut is a man named Troy. Troy is the son of one of the prominent members of, or son-in-law of one of the prominent members in the town. And he has taken his father-in-law's land and is trying to multiply it, trying to be successful. For you see, Troy, unlike Jaber, is a loud man. And he's an aggressive man. And he's an ambitious man. And he wants to do things that will promote himself. It also is worth noting that Troy is married to a woman that Jaber is secretly in love with. Troy is holding court in Jaber's barber shop one day. It's the, during the time of the Vietnam War and Troy's son is a soldier in Vietnam, and Troy has become radically pro-war. In fact, he cannot stand to even hear about people questioning or protesting the war. He says, I wish we could just round up all those protesters and put them in a battle with the communists. That way, whoever gets killed, it's all for the good. Jaber stops cutting hair. He puts down his clippers and looks at Troy And says, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Troy turns toward him quickly and says, where'd you get that junk? And Jaber answers, Jesus Christ. And then says to the reader, it would have been a great moment in the history of Christianity. Only... I did not love Troy. You can be right. You can have the letter of the law, but if you don't have the law of love, Paul said it it profits nothing. I can have everything. I can speak with the tongues of angels. I can prophesy. I can have the gift of generosity. But without love, it means nothing. And so Joseph does what he thinks love would have him do. He sets out to divorce Mary quietly, to to move on, to find healing with his life and trust that she can do the same. But just when Joseph resolves to do this, Matthew tells us, 
an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream. Now, don't think of angels as little cherubs, little precious moment, feminine things, but think of angels as messengers of God who come to people like you and me and Joseph sometimes in a dream when our active mind is off when we are more vulnerable and open, when we're not locked into our preconceived ideas and practicing our ways of judging and critiquing and blocking and computing everything, in those moments, the word of the Lord comes and sort of sneaks in and makes a home in Joseph's heart and changes his plans. Joseph, son of David... Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And here is yet a third theme, a third melody that runs throughout this story and the larger story to come, that God's message, the word of the Lord that comes to us, brings us both peace and conflict, both peace and disruption. At the same time, to welcome this sacred word from God is to, at the one, on the one hand, to be told, don't be afraid. And on the other hand, to be told, take this woman who's bearing a child who is not your own and trust me. And so Joseph's no to Mary becomes a yes to God. We like to elevate Mary, and rightly so. But let's take a moment here for Joseph, for it is through Joseph, who comes from a son, who is a son of David, that Jesus can claim to have been born from the house of David. It's through Joseph that Jesus receives his name. You shall call him Jesus, for he'll save his people from their sins. And it's from Joseph, the carpenter, who manages to take the scraps of this life that he's been given and build a response of love in a world of laws. And it makes me wonder, did Joseph Start Jesus on this trajectory. This holy one sent from God. Did Joseph help narrate the way. That Jesus then lives into fully. To transform the world through the power of love. Honoring the law. But holding up the law of love. More than love of the law. Do you hear the difference? It makes all the difference in the world. It is this melody, these melodies that wave together and create the song that the angels sing. It is this melody that we hear, as the songwriter said, all nature sings the music of the spheres. It is God's word, that word that penetrates And calls to people like you and me that says this is the reason Jesus Christ was born into this world. 
About a decade ago, I had the opportunity to go as part of our Highland Mission endeavor to the countries of Macedonia and Kosovo, where both Macedonian and Albanian people live together. The Macedonians are Christians and the Albanians are Muslim. And in that particular part of the country, the Macedonians have the power and the Albanians do not. So the Christians do things like this. They'll go into the middle of an Albanian village and they'll build a church never to worship in that church, but just as a way to say, we have power over you. I talked to a Macedonian man one day. Why do you hate the Albanians so much? He said, because in 932, their people attacked our people. I'm thinking, 932? And it washed over me. These people need Christ. These people need transforming love. They don't need Christ so that when they die, they'll get to go to heaven. They need Christ to pull them out of the hell that they're living in now. A decade later, I got to go with our Highland Mission work to the nation of Morocco in northwest Africa. There I saw the plight of the sub-Saharan refugees being treated worse than animals. And I thought, these people need Christ. They don't need Christ as some kind of religious philosophy. They need the power of transforming love. And then I come home. And I hear this week that we have to add three more crosses to our front lawn in memory of three more of God's children who were killed this week in our own city by an act of violence. And I think, this city needs Christ. And I hear the stories within our own families of parents and children and couples together and the struggles that we face in life. And I think, we need Christ. And then I look in the mirror and I recognize those places in my own life where my ego skews things and my priorities warp things. And I realize, what am I waiting for? I'm waiting for Christ who comes and is born into the world not just 2,000 years ago but in every heart that is open to receive him. The poet long ago said, though Christ a thousand times in Bethlehem be born, if he is not born in thee, Thy heart is still forlorn. Would you make a place for him? What are we waiting for? Let's pray together. We know this ancient story backward and forward, O God. And yet sometimes your word animates it and enlivens it in such a way that we hear it anew and life is born again. We pray for the world that you so loved, 
that you sent your son into this world. We pray for your church that you so loved, that you made us the body of Christ. And we pray for this particular community of faith, that as we sing the hymns and go through the rituals, that Christ would be born in us and we would bear him into this world to your glory, now and forever. Amen. It's our custom to sing a hymn following the sermon. It is often viewed as a time to invite people to join the church, and it will be so today, but it is also a time for every one of us to invite this love to come down at Christmas and be born in us. So as we sing, let us incorporate these words into our own hearts and make our own commitments to the Lord. Those who feel called to join us, come. Let's stand together and sing.